Welcome back to Rankable. Uh, my name is Garrett Sussman of IPO Rank, and I'm so excited about this. I just watched her presentation from SEMrush Jam Fest on Mum and Cindy. You, Cindy's so ahead of her time. So we've got Cindy Crumb joining us today. She's the CEO of Mobile Moxie. She has some really cool concepts all around. Um, the way Google indexes, the way the SERPs are changing. We're going to dive into all of it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Cindy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Okay. So I, I watched your presentation about don't blame it on mom. And you've been, you're always looking at the SERPs and looking how it's changing. You, you kind of, you, you put out this concept of entity first indexing. And I want to start with that. So can you just explain what entity first indexing is and, and how it's relevant to the way that that SERPs are kind of evolving? Yeah, sure. So entity first indexing is actually um, what I've been calling mobile first indexing for a long time. Um, but the reason I call it entity first indexing is because I think that Google was trying to maybe be a little bit um, clever or confusing or whatever, and it seems like SEOs just kind of latch on to exactly word for word whatever Google says something's about. They think it's about exactly that. And I think that um, mobile first indexing, you know, had some things to do with the changing of the crawler, but I think it had more to do with changing of the indexing and how the index was organized. And um, the way that Google works is pre previously it was learning things one language at a time. Um, and with cloud computing and AI and all the, the machine learning, what you need to um, teach a machine quickly is a lot of data. And so what was happening was languages that had more people that spoke it um, were um, evolving and getting better understanding in Google's brain faster. Um, and then smaller languages were struggling. And so the search results weren't as good. Google wasn't as good at um, finding spam. Uh, stuff like that, because they just didn't have as much data to process. And so I think that's part of the reason they switched to mobile first indexing, aka entity first indexing, where instead of focusing on language as the primary indexing model, they focused on entities. And entities are something that SEOs absolutely, including me at first, have a hard time wrapping their brain around because um, entities come before keywords. And I remember having an argument with someone like, how could there be something that comes before a keyword? But there is. Um, and the way I explain it best, and it, and it just so happens, I've been explaining it this way for years, um, and that fit perfectly with my presentation about mum, which was Mother's Day themed because it was the week before Mother's Day. I love Day. that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I talk about the word mother um, is related to the word father and daughter and grandfather and um, granddaughter in the same ways in every language regardless of what words you're using, the relationships are the same. And so that's how the, the concept of an entity happens before keywords. So I always picture kind of the entity in the middle and then the words in all the languages that describe it kind of around it. And the, the relationships between entities are mostly, um, mostly static or they're, they're more static. And so if Google knows um, the relationship between mother and father and daughter in English, then, and it knows those words in other languages, it can build those relationships out and be like, we already know this. 
um, and kind of fast forward into the, the deeper understanding of that language. And so when you look at things like the Cloud Natural Language API, um, and they break down the sentence, they diagram it like you were in high school, um, that's how they're, they're using things like hreflang, which we happily mapped. This page says the same thing as this page and this page and this page. We basically mapped everything so that we gave them the, the learning data that they needed to build out um, from one language that they knew well to another language that they didn't know so well, um, and then match them up. And so that's kind of, it, it's more beneficial for Google because they learn faster. And it's kind of like, instead of having a separate hose of data for every language, you have now this one big data hose where everything's coming in on the entity level. So they get to learn and apply faster. Sorry, that's long there, No, there's so many interesting things to unpack from that because it's interesting. I think it almost, one thing you point out, it, it, lead, it makes me think about SEOs and, and our own like narcissistic, like kind of e egocentricity of like only thinking about things through our language, through our own language and how yeah. that matters as we approach SEO. But like Google really is thinking multilingually, which is very clear with uh, being a focus in mom and how to your point, like one of the big, uh, kind of improvements of that machine learning is the focus, not just on visual and the multimodal, but the multilingual component. And then bringing that back to the entity, it saves them time. The other thing that I think is really interesting that you identify here is, and you say this a lot in your presentation, is how Google is always getting the user and the SEOs and the developers to do the work for them. Like they're yes. very sneaky in how they're they sneaky. do that. To incentivize us to be their free army of, of data entry people. Um, yeah, they just give us a little amp icon or, you know, tell us it'll help in rankings and, and they're there. Uh, and all the SEOs flock to it. Absolutely. I mean, for mobile, you're, you're saying it, you know, it's like with the mo like the mobile first indexing or to your point about using AMP to speed up websites, like that's a two prong thing, right? Like one is that us mapping out and kind of breaking down the, you know, removing all the JavaScript to some extent as much as possible to simplify the content that we're putting out there. Um, but it, but it's also just like doing the work in terms of, um, you know, like yeah, distilling everything down so they can they can then so I guess to your point about the ent entity first indexing, are you looking at, at it as Google's still doing like mobile first crawling and then the indexing is more concept based? Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's what I've been saying is like it's it's a mobile first crawl. That's fine. It actually was a mobile first crawl before mobile first indexing. Their primary crawler was the smartphone bot. I don't know how all the SEOs seem to have forgotten that, but it already was primarily mobile. Um, that was the other reason I was like, this is dumb. Like, that's not a good explanation. Um, but the other thing that you might notice that's especially relevant this week is all of a sudden the main, uh, the big change in Search Console is they're going to start uh, reporting on what is it translated rankings or whatever or yeah this is this is the reason that the entity stuff is so important not just on a very micro like I think SEOs think about things in a very micro level but when I had this kind of first epiphany of like I understand what's going on or I understand what I think is going on and why is I was thinking how sad it would be if like 
I was a scientist and you were a scientist and I spoke English and you spoke Italian and I was trying to solve some world hunger problem or whatever. And you had the answer I needed, but it was only written in Italian. I'm not searching in Italian. And so it would never surface potentially unless someone who was bilingual read it and wrote about it in English. And so I think that there are like holes in knowledge that might be filled only one language at a time. And and that's what Google is kind of saying with this, we're going to show you in Search Console. Like if you fill a hole in a language that your content isn't written in, but no one else is writing about it, Google's like, we're just going to show your stuff, man. Like that's great because that gives you a huge opportunity um, because, you know, maybe not a lot of people are writing about mobile SEO in Chinese and now I can do it, you know, or whatever. And it expands your opportunity to at least get your content seen. Oh my gosh. It, it, it's interesting too, because it's like there was a whole other part of like Google I.O. that was out a few weeks ago where they talked about like inclusivity in terms of race. But it's what you're talking about too, which is fascinating, is inclusivity in terms of not only just culture, but language that we are truly in a global sort of like knowledge base that is not connected. And Google's trying to connect it by, you know, kind of tapping into the multilingual, you know, gaps that are there. Like that, that's kind of, is going to connect the, the kind of global world in that sense. And there's a, also to your point about how Google focused on the bigger languages first and there, or like, not that they focus on it, but that machines benefit from that data. Yeah. That there's a underrepresentation of small, you know, languages that aren't spoke by as many people. Yeah. Well, and so people, um, I I used to get so excited in this one presentation. I had this one presentation that I did almost for a year and it was all ostriches and people would request me to do that. They wouldn't want a new talk. They would be like, just do the ostrich talk. because the theme was ostriches. And um, I got so excited when I got to show people that when you change the phone language um, and do a search in a mismatch language, um, Google matches the knowledge graph to your phone language. And so it was translating knowledge graph results for you. Um, And to me, that was hugely representative of what they want to do. And and what I I was reading into it is like, I don't have a response for this in that language, but I have a response in English or I have a response in Hindi and your phone language is Hindi. So I imagine you can speak Hindi, you know, or whatever. Um, So yeah, they're trying harder and they're doing a good job. And just imagine like the tragedy if, if I was trying to solve hunger or global warming and there was content that you had that answered a question that I just could never surface. Like that's tragic. I feel like um, the other aspect that's going to be really interesting too is the cultural like the nuanced differences from culture to culture when you're talking about entities, like there are going to be nuanced differences. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, mom and Google will need to be able to pick on it's pick up on. It's not going to be apples to apples. It's not perfect. That's the, I started in that talk with the example of mother's day. Mother's mm-hmm. day is a concept in many countries, but it happens on different days. And actually, you know, even things like Christmas are celebrated differently in different um, cultures and sometimes even you know the celebration is on a different date, um, yes. slightly different for Christmas. Mother's Day bigger difference, but 
Yeah. But it's, it's, it's fascinating. And, and the direction all that's going in, I want to kind of pivot because the other thing that I'm really interested in, in is the evolution of SERPs. And you, you kind of, you're, you have this kind of perception of, of, and, and to clarify for, for the audience, like a lot of, it's not like Cindy has any insight into what Google's actually doing. It's all just kind of your speculation on what you see and reading the tea leaves, which is how, how, you know, the, the presentation goes, but you talk about the idea of like the Google verse. And obviously we know with zero click that Google is trying to keep us on the website as much as possible. And we're starting to see that um, in the evolution of Zer- the SERPs. What are you seeing? Yeah. So zero click SEOs when um, I think it was, it was Rand and Jump Tap first came out with the zero click um, report. It got a lot of pushback. It got a, I think a direct response from Danny Sullivan um, and uh, SEOs were kind of mad. Um, but uh, the idea is that between mobile and desktop, there are fewer people actually clicking through on any result at all on mobile than they are on desktop. The problem is there are more and more people searching on on des- or on mobile and desktop is, is reasonably flat. Um, and so that's a problem for SEOs, but if you look into the details, it's also in some ways a problem for Google because people were not clicking on ads and Google only gets paid when people click on the ads. And so I think whether it was intentional or a happy accident for Google, they started building out the knowledge graph as they started understanding entities and they started subdividing, um, understanding within the knowledge graph and saying this is a topic and these topics are under that topic and that's how entities work. Um, So they started including those filters in the knowledge graph and they started including disambiguation and all these other things where and those are they're always more colorful, they're they're animated sometimes, and they're at the top. So they get lots of attention and lots of clicks. And so if you think about someone who clicks into a filter of a knowledge graph and then clicks one more time into the people also ask or related searches or whatever within the knowledge graph, that's tripling the amount of, of ads that Google can show you and tripling the chance that you'll click on one of the ads. Um, and so, and the difference was about a three to one uh, the other way with desktop getting about triple as many clicks in paid as mobile. And so. But is um, it, I mean, for, to that point, is it, is it, are they just using Google using that as a way to show that they're getting more impressions of the ads or like, what's to say that people aren't going to actually, like, why would someone actually click the ads unless the ads are enhanced? I mean, I think it's, I think it's that it's both, right? The, there's a chance. You know, right, right. It's the the dumb and dumberest thing. Like, so you're saying, yes. And and they get to show that impressions are going up for organic, right? Because mm. I I don't know if I'm the only one, but I do have clients where impressions are up and up and up, but clicks are kind of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's like a different approach because there's another component that you talk about, which is which I, I'm curious, you know, if I, I'd love to hear you expound upon, which is the whole idea of like Google, you know, AI generating more content. So like for instance, in the knowledge graph, not depending on Wikipedia for their content. And so that's a whole other component of like, you know, it, it, as, as a business, you start to wonder like, what incentive do you have to create content in the first place or even depend on organic search in any capacity in the future? 
Yeah, it's tough because the idea, so um, for people who haven't seen the presentation, I talk about um, this great example that someone posted, I can't remember right now who it was, but posted of um, the knowledge graph for London, the city of London, um, and it was written not by Wikipedia, but by Google, you know, with, um, and that was really surprising. I hadn't seen that, um, but it, it immediately made sense because especially in the EU, Google has had multiple issues with companies or, or groups being right. upset that their content and images are lifted into the search result because they're saying, well, when it's lifted into the search result, we don't get the click and we're ad driven and we need those clicks. Um, and Google kind of said, well, okay, we'll stop doing that. And they just showed kind of blank stuff and the name of the, the publisher. Right. Um, and clicks dropped 45%. So even though, you know, Google is lifting some of your content, it is still driving some clicks. And yeah, it might be taking away some clicks, but you wouldn't have gotten those anyway. Um, is is kind of the, the moral of the story. But if Google can machine learn and take info from here and info from there and claim that this was a fact that everyone knows already, then they don't have to cite anyone and they use their AI to rewrite that data. And so an example um, that I used to give a lot was like the age of a cat. Like, you know, how there are dog years, they're also cat years, but they're less linear. It's like an arc. And so mm -hmm. you have to have a cat your cat age calculator and um so it was something that vets kind of knew and so it was a known thing to vets but google stopped giving citations on you know if a cat is seven in human years how old is it for a while they would give they would cite the calculator cite the vet website that they got it from and then they were just like everyone knows this but not everyone knows that that's of course not everyone knows that wow but, yeah i didn't know that <laughs> But if Google rewrites stuff, then they get out of all of their legal problems and that saves them tons of effort and money. Which, which is almost ironic too, because I feel like in the last few weeks, they've also, you've heard these murmurs of like Google, you know, claiming they're going to crack down on other people's AI content, um, you know, and then that's potentially like, you know, an issue because people, you know, people, I think, freak out that the web is going to be overrun by like crappy, you know, NLG content, you know, natural language generated content that isn't authentic and, and isn't real. And you can you can mass produce that. And yet Google's going to be doing the same thing anyway, probably with their own. And has been. I mean, they've been lifting and rewriting title tags and lifting and rewriting meta descriptions for years. I don't know why people are freaking out now. It's been, it's gone on since the beginning. Um, but well, and, and Google's guidelines were just updated to say, we don't want you to use AI generated content unless it's for the benefit of the user. So, right. you know, as every SEO rushes to, to say, well, this is for the benefit of the user, but so does Google. Like Google creates their own uh, problems a lot of the time because they're believing, they're eating their own dog food saying, yeah, this is for the benefit of the user. It saves us a bunch of legal fees, but it's for the benefit of the user. No, it's a, it's a great point, especially creating their own problems with like the whole ad issues, like their whole goal, like the way they make money through ads. And if you're like creating all of these zero quick click, like query refinement types of interactive features and no one's clicking on ads, like why are people going to invest in ads? Um, yeah. 
in the future. One thing I want to touch on before we get to some like rapid fire ranking, which is, you know, we're rankable. I want to hear your ranks is um, you do create a lot of this. You you do have this speculation based on what you see. And I, and I know kind of your approach is kind of following the money and following the tests that Google's or do, Google is doing. How do you think about it? I, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on how you get to the conclusions that you do. Yeah, um, it's exactly what you said. I think about, uh, I watch and see what they're spending on and what they're talking about at their own conferences, what's on the, what's making the agenda and what's not, um, and how they talk about it. Um, and then I honestly, this is dumb. No, let's hear it. Dave Davies made fun of me in person for this years ago because I was like, I just, I sit there and I think, what would I do if I was Google? And he's like, so you just figure out, like, you just sit there and think. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what <laughs> Well, it's, it's almost like keyword research, right? Like, it's a lot of times of like, you can't always trust the tools or what's out there. You kind of just have to go with your gut instinct. If you don't understand how the tool works, you're not going to understand how, when the tool's wrong. Like, I have this problem right now with one client where um, they had some kind of markup on a page um, that I knew was there. Um, but they didn't know that it was broken because it wasn't getting picked up by the schema uh, testing tool from schema.org. So they have no idea that that schema is there. And because, so like the, the tools will tell you exactly what they can pick up, but if they can't pick it up, they can't tell you it's wrong. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't even pick, the tool couldn't even pick this up. So it's so bad, you know? And so you have to know what how the tools work and what their flaws are, because you're gonna get false positives or false yeah. negatives if, um, you know. Even with Google's tools, like the URL inspection tool or the yeah. way that you use like GA4, it's like, these are not perfect products. Now, let me give you, I'm gonna give you guys a good tip on the URL inspection tool. If your page is super slow, the URL inspection tool will break because it doesn't have it. Sometimes if it's slow enough, it won't have time to render the CSS. And so everything's not going to be styled right. So you're going to get all these mobile usability issues coming in. And it's not because you actually have mobile usability. That's why sometimes a page, if you've ever seen a page that sometimes has the issue and sometimes don't, and you're like, how could that be? We didn't touch oh, it. It's, it's so because, it's so frustrating. It gaslights you. It basically yeah, gaslights you. It does. So, so speaking of mobile, I mean, you, you've been, you've been doing mobile, you know, since like 2008 before then. What, so you've got a new Chrome extension coming, like, yes. like, like kind of like at the finish line, where are you at and what does it do? So we actually have three, okay. um, but they're very similar. And I'm not even sure we're going to get away with publishing free. We might only get away with publishing one or two. We'll see. We'll see what Google, cause some of them, I don't know. Uh, we're going to see what Google let us, lets us do. Um, but we, so we have the first one coming out that's in review right now is called the Pagescope, which is a, a redo of something that we have available on our site. Um, the Pagescope on our site gives you three free tests, the extension, or three free tests a day. The extension gives you 10 free tests a day. Um, and all you do is once you've installed the extension, when you're on a page, you click the extension uh, button and it's going to give you rendered um, and unrendered source code net for the mobile phone. 
next go. to a visual interactive version of the mobile phone. So you can use it to test your landing pages and make sure everything looks good on, on mobile. You can also have it right next to you as you look at the diff checker to see what are the differences between rendered and unrendered. That's code. key. And it'll mm -hmm. highlight it. Um, and then for paid subscribers, um, you can set up tests to capture the screenshot and the code and then compare over time, rendered to rendered, rendered to unrendered, uh, desktop to mobile, whatever. So we capture the screenshot and the code. And then, so like, it's great for attribution because if you see a drop off on a certain page template and you're like, but what changed? And you're at a big agency or a big company and no one you know, knows what the dev team's up to half the time, then you can go back and say, well, things looked great on this date. So let's look at the unrendered code from this date to today and do a diff checker and see what changed. And so you can say, oh, well, duh, we lost our schema. Or, oh, well, you know, we lost this. Or they're overwriting the title tags or whatever it is. But this is going to get more and more important as more and more functions move to Edge SEO, where mm -hmm. um, you, you might have rules that are overriding rules if not everyone who's writing rules in the Edge is talking to everyone else, you know? like, And that's going to be a new issue that we have as SEOs. Um, and I think that a lot of the time SEOs are looking, when they look at rendered and unrendered code, they're looking at the desktop version. And if something's being managed in the cloud, um, it may get sent differently to a mobile phone. It may get sent differently to the mobile crawler. So I think we need to be smart and actually look at the mobile version of the code. Um, so yeah, that's the page. It's, it sounds super helpful. I mean, you do it all on the desktop. And plus like, you know, like our founder, Mike King, is has is, you guys are on the same wavelength with that because it's that whole idea of context parity. I mean, you know, it was always framed around the idea of like mobile first indexing, but it's also just the user experience of like, you've got all these different contexts. It's not even just mobile and desktop. It's every single version of mobile, right? And it's going to be TV soon and cars and, you know, everything's getting its own screen. It's going to be a Google, a digital assistant. So that's the first, that's the first extension. What's the other one that you think is coming out? Okay. So Hopefully. The, other one, the other one is the Serperator, which is another tool that we've had and all it does. Oh, and the Pagescope, I should say, you can do it location specific. So oh, huge. down to a country in that one. So for instance, if you're using JavaScript to moderate um, the currency or shipping stuff or whatever, whatever, you can use it to test in all your different countries. Um, and then the, the serperator is similar, but it's specific down to a, a specific street address if you want. So we send all the same information that we would if it was a real phone. So like GPS coordinate, we take whatever address you put in and make it a GPS coordinate, just like your phone would. Um, and we give you the real uh, search result for mobile at that moment. So you can even see if you're searching right now um, for restaurants in uh, New York, then you're gonna get blah, blah, blah. But if you were doing it for restaurants in Tokyo, it would say they're all closed, right? Because yep. middle of the night. Well, so um, it brings it back to mom too, right? It's like the whole idea is more and more context and geography yeah. is a big part of that. Yeah, geography is a huge like secret context that SEOs sometimes forget about. And I think that results are gonna get more and more localized. Um, and that's how Google is saying that they're not personalizing, they're just hyper-localizing. Like if they hyper-localize to stuff that people in my house like, it's gonna be a lot of dog stuff. You know, like, like yeah. that's, it's not personalization per se, it's just hyper-localized to my address. 
Um, but who knows? I mean, that, that I mean, I feel like Bill Slosky even identified some patents about personalized, you know, SERP results, asynchronous. But to your point, like you, yeah, you see it like you can you could search something, you know, just a product and you'll get both the e-commerce version and also the is it available in your local store without any sort of like near me TV sort of uh, qualifier. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so the Serperator, it lets you see the cool. real search results down to an address um, on mobile or desktop. Um, and then same thing, um, three free ones on the website, 10 if you do the 10 per day if you do the extension. And then if you pay for mobile moxie, whatever, we can capture it over time so that you can compare, which is great. We have this thing we call the history modal. And it, so I'll tell you another secret. I lost my knowledge graph during the pandemic. Don't know why. Maybe it's because I wasn't speaking or whatever. Or really, yeah. Um, so we had um, we had a test set up on my name to capture the search results, and you can see cool. as Google is testing because I had a pretty solid knowledge graph, and then it eventually went away. And then they started testing. I we did some tweaks and stuff, and they started testing. One day it would have it, then the next day it wouldn't, and da da da. da. So you can see, and they tried different arrangements. So it's really great to be able to visually see how is the search changing because what if, you know, on the days when I had the knowledge graph, the amount of traffic to my website goes down because people are searching and they get my knowledge graph instead of the Mobile Moxie website. And so the traffic goes down. So that again is for attribution to say, okay, maybe something in the search result is pushing us down, but it's not showing up in search console because Knowledge Graph doesn't get counted as position one, even though it takes up a huge portion of the search. So, that's, that's really surprising to me. I mean, it's almost like if you lost, like, you're, not that I have a blue check on Twitter, but like if you lost your blue check on Twitter, like, you know, that the, the world is so semantic SEO and entity based. And like your, if your relationships are like, you know, shriveling up like, like, a, like a plant that you're going to lose your knowledge graph, maybe like. Yeah, That's, I don't know. I'm not exactly I'm still a mystery and it's still not solid. So if you guys want to give me links or whatever that you can get one in this podcast, we got you covered. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we're still working on that. But but the other thing that happens in the Serperator that's critical clutch, I think, is, um, and I don't use that word lightly, is uh, we parse it and we parse it, we add some new KPIs that I've been talking about. So we parse everything in the search result and we give you traditional rank, which is what Search Console has. And then we give you actual rank, which is we count everything that's above you. So that knowledge graph would get one. If you had two ads above the knowledge graph, that they would be counted too. And then we give you pixels from the top. And so that way you can say, you know, if you have bosses coming to you going, why are we, you know, we're maintaining position, why are we losing clicks? You can say, well, we're maintaining position one, but position one has moved from 500 pixels down to 800 pixels down consistently, um, then that's meaningful. I mean, it's sort of meaningful. What are you going to do if you're in position one? You're already in position one. That means you have to start paying. If you like right. the next step is either get a knowledge graph or pay. Um, or yeah. get a featured snippet. Um, Fighting for brand awareness. It's so interesting too, because it's like devices in terms of reporting on SEO, it's it's getting so much more like complicated. Like, are you you saying, are you, are you above the fold on desktop? Are you like, you know, in the viewport on mobile? Like how far do you have to go down to your point about pixels? And like, how much does that hurt your bottom line when it comes to like actual traffic that you're not getting anyway? It's got to, right? <laughs> 
no one's talking about this. So we give you those things. We also, for paid people, if you set up the test, we capture the title tags. We're about to start capturing the descriptions too, but it's not, the fun thing is you can set up keyword queries for anything. You don't have to have, you don't have to own the site. You don't have to um, have access to the analytics because it's just parsing the SERP as it sees it. So um, you can track whether your competitors' title tags are getting changed. And what, mm. if they're in the SERP, we grab them. So you can go and see everyone's title tags um, in that SERP, not just your own. Uh, so that's fun. And we we have something for the paid users called Moxie score. And I know every tool has their own proprietary score and I poo-poo those. And I, when, you know, when we came up with ours, I poo-pooed it too. Like it was my idea, but I was still like, well, we'll just make up a score. But what it is, it's useful, I think, for the future of it. That's what's important, right? Like you have the methodology it's and the then metric. whether or not it yeah, it provides a metric. It's a metric and it's a metric that no one else is giving. So what we, the metrics that we made up uh, and they're weighted metrics, they're not like a linear thing, but but the reason we wanted to do it is I think SEOs don't get enough credit for filling out the search result with content off of their site. They're only looking for success on their own site, but there's huge SEO success to get in a top 10 list that ranks well, or even just to have your social media stuff rank well, or to be mentioned on someone else's blog, or to have an article posted somewhere else. So we let you claim everything that, that's yours in the SERP um, to say, this is our Facebook, this is our LinkedIn, this is this is our an article that we're mentioned in and it's good for us, we like it, we're gonna claim it. And that is your Moxie score. So your Moxie score is how much of the SERP do you own? How much Moxie do you really have on this specific search result? I, I love that. Have, it makes me think of like uh, Mike Blumenthal, you know, the king of local SEO, like way back when coined the idea of like, Google is the new homepage. And like yes. that, that's that, that proprietary metric kind of speaks to that of like when like obviously it's much more brand specific if someone searches your brand to your point it's like how much of that homepage are you yeah. owning versus someone else on on your land but it's a new winnable metric where even yeah. if it's not branded let's say you sell cat food um yeah not a lot of great content out there on cat food um and you don't have to be, have a branded search to necessarily rank some videos on cat food and this, you know, on medium on cat food and da, 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 da. like you could own, it's a head term, but it's not a branded head term. And you could really dominate if you want to, if you have, yeah. you know, a less like, yeah. No, I'm with you. It's like share a voice, especially with like mom and the more multimedia that's showing up in SERPs. I love it. Okay, let's do wait, wait, one more point. Can I add one oh, more point? You're gonna yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I love chatting this stuff. So this has been, this has been this is a kind of a, a, a change of thinking, I think, to think about the SERP as an entirety and think about like what's visually there that might be taking your clicks away and yeah. getting credit for all of that. But I also think as SEOs, we need to be open to the idea of ranking content on other sites and especially choosing our battles. And so if, so for instance, we had a bunch of videos that weren't ranking well um, in Google and they were getting hardly any clicks and they were cross-posted from YouTube um, and so I was like, well, whatever, they're not ranking on my site. I'm going to canonical from my site to the YouTube video. I'm going to oh, send really? all the SEO juice over there because that has a much better chance of ranking than my puny site. Um, I don't have huh. the test results in. It's an interesting test. I don't know, but it doesn't waste anything. I wasn't getting the clicks anyway, you know, but 
I think that thinking about what's e- Twitter's easy to rank, what has the juice to rank on a really hard query, and then even doing crazy things like canonicaling to YouTube, not the homepage, but to a specific thing elsewhere, might, you know, cross-domain canonicals are a thing. Why not? Yeah, I mean, I can I can see that even if you're like scared to do that with your own like home base home site, like you could build a bunch of microsites and potentially do that as well, and just use that because if you're going to send that equity elsewhere, why why not? That's a, that's a very interesting experiment. I'm gonna I'm excited to hear like what your conclusions are. I'm gonna it, try I'm, it with some images as well. Okay. Um, yeah, because images, yeah, sometimes yep. some things cut in line, videos cut in line, they don't mm-hmm. have to work their way up, they just mm-hmm. cut. Yep. And so that's what I'm looking for is what gets to the top quickly yes. without the banging your head against the wall part. That's why it's like you're thinking about, you know, like you really changed your thought process about for a long time about how it's not about the 10 blue links anymore. It's every sort of rich, you know, feature enhancement on the SERP and how you can win it. Okay, ready? Ready for some yes. rapid fire ranking? Okay. Okay. Rank rank your top three SEO tools. And you can say Mobile Moxie. You're allowed to. All right. So I'm just going to say Mobile Moxie, even though that's a cheap chat. And then I use SEM Rush a lot. And then I use, um, gosh, what do I use? Oh, Screaming Frog. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Rank your, your number one best SEO trick or tactic. Internal links are just so easy. Yep, it's key. Rank, what is it that you love most about SEO as an industry? It's always changing. I love it. Rank your best learning SEO resource. Twitter. Rank the top one to three SEO or marketers that you most look up to or just, you know, respect. Well, okay, I knew this was coming. Um, John Alderson, he and I are often on the same page, but he's smarter than me. Um, uh, Mike King, your boss, super duper smart. Um, who's my third one? Um, I guess um, I need to have a woman. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lily Ray is amazing. Yes, the three brilliant. Okay, I love it. And um, two more. We got rank your best SEO marketing or experiment win. Oh, I hope the YouTube thing is a win. Um, um, oh, um, yeah. Uh, gosh, on a massive site, um, we had this wasn't even paid for just an old client came back and we were shooting this kind of cuss we were shooting this shit and i was yes. like oh you should just try this and he did and he came back and he was like sydney we saw a 20 percent lift when we did that and like it was just free advice and 20 percent for them is a lot of money um oh i bet and it was within two or three months um so that unpaid for stuff like that i love and then we've also seen in aso we've seen even better than that more than 20 percent when we just basically rewrote some uh, app titles 
Like just use the time. Well, there's so less to work with with ASO. It's like so. Anyway, okay. And finally, rank your number one cause or charity that you want to promote right now. Ooh, um, we have been a long-term uh, donor to Planned Parenthood. I love that. Cindy, you are awesome. I love geeking out on SEO and mom and all this stuff with you. If people want to find you online, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, the best way is Twitter. Always. I'm Suzix, S-U-Z-Z-I-C-K-S. And that's where I'm most responsive, even better than email. It's Twitter. That's amazing. Okay, so check out Cindy Crumb, find Mobile Moxie, keep your eyes peeled for the Chrome extension. We'll have links to all that good stuff as best we can in the uh, description notes. My name is Garrett Sussman of Rank. This has been Rankable. Thanks again for being here, Cindy. This has been awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. See y'all. Oh, 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 oh,